0: Want to listen to this Ivory Tower Boiler Room episode and all of our Ivory Tower Boiler Room episodes ad-free? Head to our Patreon, patreon patreon.com. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash Ivory Tower Boiler Room for $5 a month. You get all of our ad-free episodes, our video interviews, and our bonus episodes. See you there.
1: I'm really reclaiming it. I think it's also just such a ridiculous stereotype to begin with. I think it's just so funny where it's just like, oh, I want to have mutual sexual pleasure with people and have honest, healthy, and communicative relationships where I get to explore fun sex. Oh, oh that makes you greedy. It's like, what what's greedy about wanting to have pleasure and relationships with people? Isn't that what life is about you know having human connections with people and this idea that bisexuals are greedy because it's like oh yes like we want to date and have sex with people is just absurd to begin with
2: lgbt stories are universal but each one speaks to the individual heart and soul of the writer telling it do you have a story to tell have you been moved by an lgbt book film painting television show or other form of media if so the gay and lesbian review wants to hear from you the g believes in bringing awareness to queer art and artists through reviews commentary and thought pieces in which the author relates their personal lives to a particular piece of art a novel a movie or what have you in addition to the articles published in the print magazine the g also publishes articles on its blog as well as personal essays on its popular Here's My Story section. This allows people like you to share their own experiences with our readers. To learn more about submitting either to the print or the online edition of the GLR, visit georeview.org. That's G L R E V I E W dot O R G. And scroll down to the bottom of the page to find a link to their writer's guidelines. If you have questions, email me at stephen.hemrick at georeview.org. The GNLR, can't wait to see what you have to say.
0: Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Ivory Tower Boiler Room. So I'm going to read the bio of my guest today. I have to preface all of this with I always, most of our Ivory Tower Boiler Room episodes are marked as explicit on all the podcast platforms but you know if your virgin ears out there are not ready for a bi-male sexual empowering presence of us talking about everything sexual um then you know still listen and then recommend it to your friends Uh, but (laughs) you've been warned that's my warning okay so zachary zane who's joining me writes this really amazing column. It's called Sex explained and it's a sex and relationship advice column at Men's Health, where he answers a range of questions pertaining to masculinity, ethical non-monogamy, sexual insecurities, and the LGBTQ community. His work has appeared in the New York Times, Vice, GQ, Rolling Stone, The Advocate, Tamron Hall, and Nightline. He is joining me from Brooklyn. So I'm on Long Island, little like 50 miles away uh, from you. Um, but yeah, it's wonderful to be joined with the official boy slut, which all of you out there, Zachary, when this is coming out, his memoir and manifesto has just been published. So get your hands on boy slut, a memoir and manifesto. And yes, I think it's they can out get their May ears. 9th. Yeah, and they can get their yes. ear.
1: Listen. I have an audible. Yeah, I have an audible as well and I'm the one actually reading the audible um which someone else needs to listen to it cuz there's no way in hell I'm listening to my, myself reread the book again. That was a harrowing process uh that I hopefully never have to read a book of mine again.
0: <laughs> I'll listen to it for you Zachary and then message you. <laughs> Thank you. I don't I'm think sure I can going to my sound good voice for
1: no, I'm, I'm sure it does. No, I'm very, they were very happy with it. I'm happy with it. But I think just hearing my voice for an entire book would be like, I can't do it. I can't do
0: it. Yeah, well, it's like when I listen back to these podcast episodes. I mean, you get accustomed, but I hear my idiosyncrasies. So I can understand. Um, well, first things first. I was like, how am I going to hook Zachary Zane? Because... He's on all of this media circuit um, publicity tour extravaganza. And I was like, well, what's a nice Jewish boy like Zachary Zane doing? Claiming the term boy slut. I mean, I think it's so beautifully rebellious, but also, I mean, there's a lot of queer male Jewish energy and um, uh, there sure is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I just wonder, when you look back at that Zachary from Los Angeles, right, I or you grew up in the Valley, from what I remember, Correct. Um, did my homework, and, you know, you begin our experience in your memoir and manifesto with this image of seeing your therapist, your childhood therapist, and you imagine him naked, and, like, that's... Our beginning journey. I mean, did you now think, oh, this is where I would have ended up in my career?
1: Oh my God, no. Um, I you know, I, I originally was gonna get a PhD in clinical psychology. I was working at Harvard Medical Center as a smoking cessation researcher and counselor. And I studied psych and neuroscience in school. That's why I did my internships in. And, and I took the GRE, I took the subject test, I had academic papers that I published where I was the first author. And I was about to apply, and I kind of had a uh, like b- b- panic attack. I-, I was like, for the for this seemingly altruistic profession, they are cutthroat, they are nasty, they will steal your work. And I'm like, I don't want to do this. Um, I ended up starting to write, and then uh, I wrote a piece about bisexuality, my first piece ever that actually went viral. And then from that, I started writing more and more about bisexuality because there was such a dearth of content. And the content that was out was, you know, this is along this almost 10 years ago, but the content that was out was very much like 10 things to never say to a bisexual person or trying to prove to gay and straight people that bisexual people are real and exist. But there wasn't any content for like, bi people, by bi people. So it's just like, okay, how do you deal with internalized biphobia? How do you deal with explicit biphobia from other people? How do you come out to your family? What are the, some of the challenges that come with dating as a bisexual person? And I kind of filled in the gap there to answering these questions and really making buy content for by people. Um, and that kind of took off. And before I knew it, like, I did not think that this was going to be my profession. This was going to be my job. Um, but I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And yeah, and now, you know, I get paid to go to sex clubs and write about it. I go and have sex with people and that's part of my job. And I'm thinking of this man who was had so much sexual shame when he was eight years old that he would be in therapy, imagining his therapist naked, proceed to cry about it because I thought I was this terrible, evil, perverted, disgusting uh, kid for imagining people naked. I had so much sexual shame. And then, yeah, it is a complete 180. And when I kind of get frustrated or overwhelmed by my job or my life, I try to like remember how far I've grown, how lucky I am that I have this incredible career where I'm able to do this. I'm able to reach people and help people and speak to a community that I love and I feel a part of and very equipped to do. So when I'm sometimes drowning in emails and want to blow everything up, I'm like, Zach, look how far you've come. Look how much you're helping this community. Look how awesome your job is. Let's take a deep breath. Emails are annoying, but but you'll be okay here.
0: Yeah, well, and like, did you feel that your upbringing, right? Like you talk about, You just said that you felt this shame. And I mean, your whole boy slut persona slash, I call it your empowering uh, force that you brought in with, you know, not just your memoir and manifesto, which I mean, we'll get into, right? You do lay out this difference between memoir and manifesto, but you also have this amazing substack called Boy Slut. And... I subscribe to it, uh, you know, to do my work. And
1: like, oh, it's, is that why you
0: subscribe? That's why I subscribe. Yeah, like, just I'm for teased, the like, professional teased, like... professionalization mm-hmm, mm-hmm. experience. Yeah. But you have one from March 20th. I had a complete stranger pick me up from the airport to thank him. I fucked his brains out. Um, and then I like this other that says. Uh, um love your mommy and daddy breeding the biggest juiciest heftiest daddy ass rewired my baby queer brain
1: and you know i, I do want cl- to sorry continue topics. continue i don't want to interrupt here
3: no go, um, i, I, well, I want to
1: clarify uh that so the book is different than the zine so i have the and it's kind of like a newsletter zine where i published non-fiction erotica by myself and then also kinksters from across the globe here and this was kind of a side project that People loved it, uh, absolutely loved it. And I loved writing these pieces and people, it's not just like a raunchy sex story. There's always something larger about how you overcame sexual shame or the intersection between, let's say, polyamory and bisexuality and sex or an intersection between like sex and tech. So it speaks to something larger in society, in culture. And then it's also very hot and raunchy as well. And I should clarify that the book itself is not just like those essays. Those are just like hot, sexy, fun, independent sex stories versus this really is a memoir about how I was was able to overcome sexual shame and, you know, create and be a part of this bisexual, polyamorous, kink-positive community. So I always am trying to differentiate between the tone and the style of the digital zine and then also the book because it is different. But... I think one thing that's interesting is, you know, because I write this zine and I'm so explicit and graphic and open about my sex life, they uh, kind of assume that, oh, Zach is such an open person, which actually isn't necessarily that true. I I feel very comfortable and very safe writing about my hairy asshole and me getting pegged or whatever the fuck, but like when it comes to other aspects of myself and what i share i actually don't share that much and if you notice on social media i always keep things like light fun flirty and sexy i'm not talking about really when i'm crying over a breakup i I don't instagram that live i don't talk about relationship with my parents i don't talk about the times i've really struggled with partners or treated partners poorly of course that was never on purpose it was never malicious but because i was coming from a place of shame and insecurities i lashed out and was not great to my partners and in this book i really delve into that so this book for me is significantly more vulnerable it's significantly more open and scary than me just writing a crazy sex story
0: Hi, this is Andrew, and I'm interrupting what I know is an enthralling interview because I want you all to know that we are sponsored by Broadview Press. And if you don't know, Broadview Press is an independent academic publisher who publishes books covering Topics like English studies, writing, philosophy, history, gender studies. And every season on the podcast, I interview one of the Broadview Press authors. So for the fall, we had Ann Stevens on to talk about literary theory and criticism. She played a Wizard of Oz literary game with us. She talked about why Bridgerton actually involves literary theory. So does Fifty Shades of Gray. Who knew? Um, And also, We just had on Jeffrey Weinstock, who wrote the first ever pop culture analysis book. So, you know, I am all things a lover of pop culture, especially my Hollywood topics, Real Housewives, the list goes on and on. And he also wrote the book called The Mad Scientist's Guide to Composition, where he's writing a book, teaching students about how to write rhetorical strategies, but it's all around this metaphor of being in the mad scientist laboratory because as you'll learn when you hear our episode with Jeffrey, he is a gothic and horror fanatic. And I mean that in all the best ways possible. So you don't want to miss Broadview Press's exclusive discount because you're listening to the podcast. All of you get an automatic 20% off Use the code Ivory Tower for 20% off site wide on all of their books. So our in our show notes, we have a link to Broadview Press. Make sure you click the link, put in Ivory Tower, and you're gonna get 20% off your order. So enjoy your reading, everyone. Yeah, well, and As we think of TV film examples, like I don't want to let, I mean, I know you were raised by a Reform Jewish family, which for, you know, all um, of those who are not up on their nomenclature of the difference between, you know, reform, orthodox, conservative Judaism, right? Reform is the more liberal minded usually. And what did I call it? I have a brief description of being like, so I'm reform, And if you don't know what this means, and I described that something, where
1: is it? Yeah, Sorry, we'll I keep to,
0: talking. I'm going to look yeah, through. Yeah, Like what fascinates me is it usually is that reform coming out Jewish family experience that we do see. And like, I don't know if you remember, but Queer as Folk, one of the characters has that Jewish mother who's like the biggest ally of flag, and she owns the, does she own the diner? I'm trying to remember, but she's you like know. a waitress at the diner. And we even see that in, I think, not another gay movie. It's also a Jewish mother, like the Jewish mother and the gay son and the queer son. Is it, a it's big a trope. Media it, it, it,
1: trope. It's a trope. Mm-hmm. Um, no. Um, so I talk about, OK, I can read this little section from it where I talk about knowing that my sexual shame was not because of religion. So I say religion wasn't the culprit. I grew up in Los Angeles' San Fernando Valley, a.k.a. The Valley. Both my parents are liberal, reform-ish Jews. In case you aren't familiar, reformed Jews are the quote-unquote chiller denomination who tend to be more cultri- culturally Jewish than strictly religious. Even though I did study the Torah, Talmud, and Mishnah in day school, my parents made it very clear from a young age that we saw the Bible as fiction. It was not the word of God, so I could pick and choose the good parts and let go of the rest. All of the stuff about homosexuality being being an abomination... Honey, you can just skip right over that part. Mama Zane said. To be honest, I'm happy that religion wasn't the root of my sexual shame because, frankly, it's so basic to get sexually fucked up by organized religion, and I ain't no basic bitch.
0: <laughs> well, I absolutely love that you talk about that because, like my upbringing, I had come out in ninth grade in high school, and wow, now I'm thirty I'm fucking young. Yeah, so it's been, like, it's been 15 years, and... Yeah, it was before everyone and their mother was coming out in middle school. (laughs) I know, I know. I was a trendsetter, Zachary. You were Um, a trailblazer, you were. Trailblazer. Always ahead of the curve, no. Uh, Just joking, but I grew up Catholic, and I have, though, um, like, Jewish, like, I have Jewish ancestry that I started to discover, actually, in the last few years, and I've always, like, had more... I don't know. My now it kind of makes sense. My family does have a Jewish aesthetic, especially my dad's side. And I'm like I always was rejecting the Catholic um like it was South Jersey. So I grew up in New Jersey outside Philly, but like we still had these horses on um especially not masturbating. Like it got very intense in middle yeah. school about you know like I was getting that message, but then from our public schooling, I was actually watching HIV AIDS documentaries and learning about the health aspects of masturbation and pornography. So it was like, yeah, to too like where religion I was seeing Catholicism was really hammering down this abomination narrative. And I actually rejected it and was like, no, I'm going to come out. And I actually came out to my friend when we were in Catholic mass. So I was oh, around, wow. but like, no, this religion doesn't speak to me, which everyone can make up their own decision, right? Um, make up their mind about that. But do you – so I think it's important that you explain this was not coming. Your shame wasn't rooted in religion for you. Like, it, that's not – what I. yeah.
1: Yeah, I think what I was trying to do by this – and again, I, even though I said I ain't no basic bitch, obviously that's a joke and uh, – We're all, you know, experience sex negativity or sexual shame for a myriad of reasons. But that was kind of the point of it, where I feel like I actually grew up in this sex positive, you know, liberal, like queer affirming household. I had gay uncles on both sides of my family, my mom's brother, my dad's brother. So I knew it was a-okay to be gay. And still, I had so much sexual shame around my bisexuality, just around sexuality in general. And... It shows just how pervasive sexual shame is and sex negativity is and how insidious it is. So even though I didn't have this traumatic moment, let's say, when I got like kicked out of my house for being gay, um, I still did not have a healthy relationship with sex. And and that's kind of the point of this, where it's just like, no matter who you are, no matter your gender, your race, your sexual orientation, your age, we grow up in a society that's sex negative. So we're going to soak up messages from media, from our peers, from teachers, from family, friends, religion, culture, everything. So you just can't escape it. No, no one grows to the age of 25 and ends up with a healthy sexuality, you know, by accident. It has to be something that you work on. You have to actively combat all these aspects of society. So the reason why it's bringing this up was to show that like, hey, no matter who you are, whether it's religion or something else, you probably don't have the healthiest relationship with sex and that's Okay. And just because you didn't have this terrible upbringing doesn't automatically mean, oh, you have a healthy and great relationship with sex.
0: Yeah. Well, and how long and ago identity. was, yeah, how long ago has it was it when you actually first started your men's health sex explain it column? I think it's been end of twenty
1: nineteen, I think. I think it's maybe been three and a half years and I was writing for them beforehand. So I I just didn't have the column, but I was writing kind of as a freelancer, kind of these like sex and relationship features or SEO content, like search engine optimization content. So writing stuff like what are anal beads? And, you know, ideally when you type that in, they want men's health article to come up first. So I was writing that type of content and I was doing, kind of a great job with them. And I pitched this idea because I realized they didn't have kind of a modern sex column and they jumped all over it.
0: Well, and when did you leave Harvard, working at Harvard? Oh, that was years ago. So oh. that was,
1: so I was at, that was 2000. I stopped there. I went there right after school. So March, i sorry, June, 2020. 20, sorry. Wow. Hold on. June, 2013. And then my last month was in March 2016. So I was there for almost three years. And at the time, by the time I'd quit, I'd already started freelance writing. Uh, I'd been freelance writing for almost almost a year at that point where I had enough contacts and, works, and work and gigs. That I was able to kind of transition from that into full-time freelance writing.
0: So when you started freelance writing, did you... Feel that you had the intellectual freedom, we'll call it, or capacity to be so vulnerably open about sexual topics? Or has this really been a journey throughout the years of like, okay, I'm getting closer and closer to my authentic voice. And like, now I can finally let it out.
1: It it was definitely a journey over the years. It wasn't like by the time I started writing, it's like, I have no more sexual shame. I'm going to write about everything. I don't give a fuck what anyone else says. Like, I I wish it was like that, but that's just not the reality of it. And I think each time, you know, I I definitely came of age, like, or not came of age, that's not the right word, but became a writer during the era of like the commodification of first person identity. And what I mean by that is like uh, people like Places would pay you 50 bucks for you to write the most vulnerable first person essay you've ever written. And then you might not even get paid for it. So they were really taking advantage of freelance writers and their experiences, making a lot of money off of us and paying us hardly anything. But that was kind of what was in, uh, like really in when I was writing. So I, I started sharing my life story because that, you know, as someone who didn't study writing in school, like... I was definitely not the best writer by any stretch of the imagination. I'm not the best writer now by any stretch of the imagination. I have a very unique voice that I'm very proud of. I like the way that I write. I think it's very funny. It's very conversational. But this book isn't going to rent a Pulitzer for literary prose. You know what I mean? So the way I was able to get work in the beginning wasn't because I was a great writer, but was because of my experiences. And so that is how I became a writer. I became a writer by oversharing aspects of myself. and then it just kind of became more commonplace. And again, I didn't start by like, actually the first piece I wrote was already pretty vulnerable. You know, it was a piece for Exo Jane's vertical. It happened to me. And the way they, t- what they titled it was, I came out as gay and now can't, i oh, sorry, I came out as bi and now can't date anyone gay or straight. And it was about how much I struggled after coming out as bi I, I, I thought the world was going to be my oyster when it comes to dating. I thought women would date me and gay men would date me, but women didn't because they were afraid I was using bi as a stepping stone on the way to gay. And they would, like, ghost me or shame me or say pretty fucked up shit to me. And then gay men were extremely condescending and pedantic. They would be like, oh, honey, I was bi too. You'll get there. You'll get there. Like, I'm like, what the fuck? Like uh, And so I hated that. Then I dated this bi woman and everything, I felt so accepted for my bisexuality. I didn't worry about appearing more effeminate or acting more effeminate. And she encouraged me to embrace those aspects of myself. And it was truly incredible dating another bi person. So that was already the first story that went viral that I wrote. That was already extremely personal. So it started off personal. But again, over time, I got more comfortable sharing kind of more and more and more. And in a weird way, the internet and my work demanded it from me. Like I, I wouldn't have been able to keep writing unless if I was sharing more vulnerable experiences. I think after this book, I, I you know, I can't write a memoir every 10 years. I mean, I can't write a memoir every year. Uh, and I don't even want to write a memoir every 10 years. You know what I mean? So moving into something where it's like, I I laid it all out in this book. I shared so much of myself. I am vulnerable. I am on the floor with my heart's beating in my hand. Uh, I don't have too much more to share. So I'm excited to potentially talk a little bit less about me moving forward. Uh, I I think I'm going to write a little bisexual novel next, which I'm very excited for. But sorry, I don't remember what your original question was. Oh, but getting to where I am, no. I think it was just over time I started sharing more and more and then just becoming more comfortable with it and receiving positive feedback for it. Where the more vulnerable I was, yes, some people are assholes, but a lot of people resonated with it, being like, oh my god, this mirrors my story. I felt so alone. Thank you so much for sharing. And I was removing some of the shame and stigma that they had, and that really encouraged me to keep doing this, because I felt like I was having a positive impact, and I was, and I am.
0: Yeah, well, and in the book, you make this, what I'll call, um, might seem provocative, but it's this very insistent phrase that you are a greedy bisexual. And like that history itself, I mean, of the greedy bisexual is a put down, but you're turning the table and taking this power back. So like what for you, why was that so important to say like, okay, no, I'm going to claim this stereotype? Hi, this is Andrew. So as some of you might know, I've been such a fan of the Gay and Lesbian Review, bi-monthly magazine of history, culture, and politics that publishes essays in a wide range of disciplines, as well as a slew of reviews of books, plays, and movies, and a number of special features, such as artist profiles and the popular art memo column did you know we actually had two of the writers on the Ivory Tower Boiler Room podcasts, Ignacio Darnad and Vernon Rosario? So if you haven't, make sure you listen to those episodes. Each GNLR issue brings you consistently intelligent, lively, thought provoking articles focused on a unifying theme and brings together the leading minds on the topic. You won't find a lot about the latest dating fads or fashion trends. Though, you might find articles about online dating as a social phenomenon, like Grindr, which I have some experience with, or the gay influence on 20th century fashion. Now, for a special offer. When you subscribe to the GNLR, you'll receive a free copy with any print or digital subscription. That's seven instead of six. Visit glreview.org. That's G L R E V I E W dot org. Click subscribe and enter promo code ITBR for your free issue. And as an added bonus, you'll receive online access to all archived issues of the magazine. Enjoy your reading.
1: I'm really reclaiming it. I think it's also just such a ridiculous stereotype to begin with. I think it's just so funny where it's just like, oh, I want to have mutual sexual pleasure with people and have honest, healthy, and communicative relationships where I get to explore fun sex. Oh, that makes you greedy. It's like, what? what's greedy about wanting to have pleasure and relationships with people? Isn't that what life is about, you know, having human connections with people. And this idea that bisexuals are greedy because it's like, oh yes, like we want to date and have sex with people. is just absurd to begin with. Um, And so i have kind of like pointing out the absurdity by saying it and also showing like, yes, like if you want to call it greedy, even though that has a negative connotation, you can, but there's nothing wrong with being greedy. There's nothing wrong with wanting to have you know, a lot of kinky experiences or multiple sexual partners, or if you're someone who your bisexual identity and your polyamorous identity intersect the way that it does for me, where it's like, I could not be monogamous. And there's nothing wrong with that because I'm honest about it. I communicate that to my partners and I'm able to pursue pleasure and have these healthy different forms of relationships with multiple different people. You call that greedy. I just call that living my life to the fullest here. Uh and, and I can tell part of the greedy uh stereotype is definitely an aspect of jealousy. I think it's a lot of people who wish they could be, you know, greedy bisexuals in a sense, who wish they were so sexually liberated and unafraid and able to have multiple different partners or sexual experiences. So I definitely think it's coming from a place of people wishing they were us without sounding like a hot bitch, but I am going to sound like a hot bitch. Why not?
0: Well, yeah, no, I mean, I'm a gay man, but I definitely, you know, love embrace, you know, my bi men out there. Um, but also think it's so important that you have such a large platform now, especially with Boy Slut and, you know, having an actual book in existence and that it is, So there's not a lot of representation still of bi men in TV, in film, in pop culture, in reality shows. Um, So, yeah, you're.
1: This is like the first, obviously, bisexual men have written books. They've written memoirs. We've been around for forever. But this is, to my knowledge, the first like memoir that really details a bi man's experience being bi. We have those for gay memoirs. We have lesbian memoirs. We even have that for bi women. Uh, we have, like, Jen Winston's Greedy, which was a great book, and I recommend reading. Again, the bi representation is coming out much later. That book only came out, I think, two years ago. But, yeah, I like, I, I'm, to my knowledge, the first bi man to write a book about, like, sex and sexuality and openly discussing bisexuality, uh, like, ever in a memoir format. Yeah. Uh, so we really are... I feel like bisexual visibility is actually doing well right now. I I think about how it was 10 years ago and there was really little. There was like, I remember Googling bi guy in college because I thought I might be bi. And the only thing that came up were like studies about bi men having or spreading HIV, maybe the off piece about like 10 things to never say to a bisexual person. But like, that was it. Now you type in bi guy or bisexual man. I think I'm like two of the first four articles that come up, number one. But like, there's just so much more visibility and more people talking about their experiences being bisexual, addressing health disparities, addressing biphobia, addressing how to meet other bi people and cultivate a bisexual community. There's so much more visibility for bisexuality now than there's ever been in the United States. And that's pretty incredible. We have a long ways to go, but I like that I'm kind of at the forefront of this. I'm proud to say that Boyzled's kind of the first book of its type like this. And I really, really hope that there this inspires a bunch of other bi people of all races and genders and everything to share their experiences too.
0: Yeah. Well, I hear Zachary um, in September, I did this whole episode about celebrating my 30th birthday at the Belvedere in Cherry Grove and like unveiling some of the behind the scenes of mm-hmm. like being in a, clothing optional like all male experience and what that was like but i have to say mm-hmm. like even when i talk about oh i'm going to fire island or to the general public um they automatically think that there's orgies happening which you know does happen i'm sure i haven't been to an orgy just uh, to put that out there but i know that they happen but why do you I'm sure you've had to definitely deal with the scrutiny of, and I'm not saying it's a negative, but the general public, I feel when it comes to gay men, they already like think of, okay, now I'm starting to see you as a sexual object in a way. But then when it comes to even being a bi man, like, do you feel there's even more of, this public perception of trying to think of you in terms of sex like is there a difference between it, well, gay men and bi men
1: I, well it's also i did it to myself in a way you know what i mean i kind of welcome objectification and fetishization and the way that I, I speak and what i post online and how i talk it, it's I, I, again i'm not saying i'm asking for it but the way that, the way that i present and talk about how slutty i am and how i want to hook up with everyone and how i'm sharing my sex stories like, yeah, people have these perceptions about me and I've cultivated those perceptions. So I, I, I so when it comes to me specifically, it's a little bit different. I, I think, you know, speaking for other bi men um, or at least talking about other bi men, of course, I can only speak to myself, but I do think obviously there are these like hypersexualization, um, stereotypes that while accurate for me is probably not accurate for the vast majority of bi men who are just like, you know, they're slutty bi men. They're monogamous bi men. there are bi men who have never had sex with anyone. And they're still virgins because that that's how it is. There are, you know, people who fall in the sexual spectrum who are also bisexual. So, you know, just like every single group in the history of mankind, we are diverse. And if, so for those guys who are definitely more, let's say on the monogamish, spectrum or vanilla spectrum or just not you know someone who has as many sexual partners as me I could see that being really challenging to have this stereotype that you're hypersexual when you're just like I'm just trying to find one person and fall in love and you make it seem like I'm going to orgies like god that's really frustrating
0: yeah well and I even have friends of mine who I've wanted to take to Fire Island who are interested in men And they don't want to go because they're so nervous to overcome the stereotype of what they think Fire Island. Or they a lot of the times they think there's going to be this judgy clique. But I say there's all different varieties who go to Fire Island or go to any of these LGBTQ destinations.
1: It's whatever you want it to be. You know what I mean? Like, there are definitely the people who go to Fire Island to party and drink and have sex. And I've definitely done that. And that's been very fun. I've been to Fire Island where like, I have a week off work, and I just want to tan by the pool, uh, chill, listen to to music with friends, smoke some weed, have some cute family dinners, and I'm asleep by, you know, 1030 at night, and I'm not going out. So it really is kind of a pick-your-own-adventure. I think there's a lot one can do at Fire Island, or truthfully, any gay destination for the most part. Although some, if you go to a gay sex resort, probably less to do than besides have gay sex, but Fire Island, there's more to do.
0: Yeah, well... If anyone this summer wants to find me on Fire Island, I will be laying at the beach, usually uh, nude and swimming, like and reading. Love that. That's my oh, oh, Fire come... Island experience. And like to okay. me, there's well, and I think you're wait, are... you'll find me, Zachary. I'm just <laughs> no, I, I, you know, I have my
1: book tour throughout May and June, and then come July, I, I feel like I'll, I'm gonna be a free man. And I definitely want to get my butt to Fire Island, although I don't think I got any shares, which means I've definitely done it. Where I go, wait for the last ferry to leave, and then it kind of lights a fire under my ass, being like, "I gotta get laid, and I gotta dick down someone so good, so well that they invite me to sleep over." Uh, I haven't or done that in just a while. Get a hotel I like... <laughs> room. there are hotels <laughs> yeah, too, but... and that's expensive. And I, I like the fun, I like the challenge of it. And you know, worst comes to worst, I fall asleep on the beach. They're like, uh, "I'll, I'll be there okay." Goes. Um, but I love it. I'm definitely going to be in Fire Island naked reading as well.
0: Well, and there's something that I don't want to let for me. That's how I started to overcome my sexual shame was actually feeling so liberated, being in my body present and realizing, oh, the nudity is not always doesn't have to always be eroticized like that. There's so many dynamics. There's so many nuanced meanings of what it's like to be connected to nature, for example, or to even be around other men who were having conversations, but it has this um, safe space of expression for me. And like my writing too, like you've become a mentor of mine, Zachary, because I'm about to receive my PhD in July and... I have so much Congrats. homoerotic. Thank you. So much homoerotic language for the 19th century with um poetry and literature. But like I've started to really embrace oh it's okay for me to explore my writing process and how it involves say listening to porn podcasts like discretion advice which I love or you know yeah. I don't know if you listen to that one but like Mark McNamara's hilarious um yeah. Or two by guys, which I know you were on and I loved that. Or Justin yeah. uh Jay Lay Lay Miller. Yeah. Justin Lay Miller. His, yeah. Justin Lay Miller's Sex and Psychology podcast. And for the longest time in academia, I felt those conversations were only being had by, say, a sexologist like Justin. Or um, you know, Sex with Emily, for example, and her podcast. But there's I just recorded with her. Did you? Oh, amazing. Okay. yeah, she, I love she's awesome. podcast. Um, yeah, I really do. And for the longest time, there's been so much queer studies work, and there's been a lot of porn studies, too, in academia. But there's never really, in my opinion, been this public connection. Like, we know it exists, but there's never been... Um, a media and a university bridge. So like, that's why it means a lot to talk with you, Zachary, because you've become a stepping stone and a guide for me of, Oh, okay. I can be more vulnerable and claim my authenticity and not be afraid of the backlash. Like I've always been afraid of, okay, who's going to call me out? Like who's going to try to professionalize me, for example.
1: it's well thank you first of all thank you very much and i'm, I'm really glad you shared that with me uh and you know there still are we still live in a sex negative society there are real repercussions of, prevent, of presenting yourself as sexual
0: hi this is andrew so you know when i'm not here in the ivory tower boiler room sometimes i'm actually invited to be on other podcasts as a guest Well. There is one podcast run by Christian Garcia and um, his co-host, Nate, that I absolutely love. It is called That Old Gay Classic Cinema. So calling all you classic cinema fans out there and those who love queer theme cinema, which I think there's a lot of you who are listening right now where you've uh, perked up. So follow them on Instagram at that old O-L. Yay, classic cinema. The first ever episode I was featured as a guest, it's The Sound of Music. I got to talk about being Captain Von Trapp in high school, and it's just such an exciting conversation. They've also featured discussions about Gone with the Wind, The Wizard of Oz, which features guests from uh, the podcast The Garland Gab, and Down the Yellow Brick Pod. There's a deep dive of Cinderella, and recently they had An episode on the film Giants starring Elizabeth Taylor, Rock Hudson, and James Dean. And actually one of the uh, guests, Lauren Randall, I know from Stony Brook University's PhD English department. So shout out, Lauren. Um, You can listen to that old gay classic cinema on Apple, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. It's definitely such a great listen. So why not listen to it after you listen to this current episode on the Ivory Tower Boiler Room?
3: Hey, Ivory Tower Boiler Room listeners and true crime friends, you've heard me gush over this incredible woman and her beautiful products. I'm talking about Mandy Made It. Mandy makes customized and original crochet and pre-cut goods. They are the perfect, unique, one-of-a-kind gift for literally anyone in your life. And she makes incredible home decor. I still have my pumpkins that I put out every fall. I just love them. Check her out on Instagram at M-A-N-D-E-E Made It or search Mandy Made It on Facebook. To order, just slide into her DMs. And if you mention the Ivory Tower Boiler Room, you will receive a free personalized gift with your first order. So... Go on Instagram and look up at Mandy Made It, and Mandy is spelled M-A-N-D-E-E. Again, her handle is at Mandy Made It, Mandy spelled M-A-N-D-E-E, and order today.
1: You know, it's for me, it's almost like I went in this career because I did not want to have to hide. I did not want to have to, you know, every time I got a new job at a lab, come out as bisexual or it's polyamorous and we have the Christmas party and I want to bring a male partner and a female partner and that like be a whole ordeal or issue. And like I almost cr- like created a career for myself where like uh, I can be overly sexual and that is the point. And I'm rewarded for it versus – that is not 99.99% of professions you know what i mean like there are real ramifications and repercussions to embracing your sexual identity um which is really fucked and sad but yeah that, i think that's in large part why i kind of ca- like carved out this career for me because i did not want to have to ever hide or feel like i have to repeatedly come out i just want to be me and be rewarded for being me
0: well and i'm curious how much do you, does your work intersect with say the porn industry like do you feel because I know you're say that you go to sex clubs but that doesn't directly tie to say the porn industry
1: well like um again I'm a writer I'm a a writer first and foremost that is what I am and so uh I'm a sex relationship writer obviously the porn industry is a lot of sex writing so I've interviewed many porn stars over the years uh i've done you know articles and journalistic pieces just about something within the porn industry but my relationship with it is me either you know writing or using porn stars as resources or writing about the industry so i i'm kind of adjacent to it but i'm I'm, I'm i'm a writer of it just because yeah that's part of sex that's a huge part of sex is porn
0: yeah well and do you think because you are in Brooklyn and you're in the New York City metropolis and the northeast especially yeah. or if you were in the west on the west coast for example in the LA scene, San Francisco, San Diego even do you feel that your voice would be um there'd be more roadblocks because of a geographic area in which you're drawing your experience. Like, say we throw Zachary Zane into Mississippi, for example.
1: I think I'd be a lot more of a controversial figure there. I think absolutely. Uh, I'm very lucky and privileged to have kind of spent my life, for the most part, on on the coasts, right? And I think it allows me to be more sexually open and free and to write more freely. And I think there are more careers here that allow me to write in the way that I want to. Uh, yeah, I think my story would be very different if I grew up in rural Alabama or Mississippi.
0: Yeah. Well, and I never even asked you, what did you study as an undergrad, Zachary? Psychology,
1: but I focused on ah. neuroscience too.
0: Oh, okay. Okay. So you kind of, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. No, no, neuroscience. Does that make its appearance you feel in any of the kind of work you're doing in terms of sex and relationship studies?
1: Oh, absolutely. And I love the sex and relationship studies uh, that come out. And when I first started writing too, a lot of what I wrote about was writing about like you know the way that often media and articles like write about like pop psychology studies are like terribly they're like oversimplified, reductive, they're making these larger claims that the study themselves cannot make. So I was writing really nuanced takes of new research study that came out and wrote it in a way that was digestible but also honest and accurate and not oversimplifying the results. Um and also my background is in research. Like I wanted to be get a PhD to be a clinical psychologist, but like I didn't want to get an MD. I wanted a PhD because I like research. So still now research heavily influences my um decisions. You know what I mean? And what I decide what I decide to discuss. I like that whenever I posit any argument, okay, there is research to back this up. It's not just something that I've said. There's actually research to support this. And you see, like I have a pretty extensive bibliography in my book. I am constantly uh quoting from academic uh, papers that have come out. So I, I think that still heavily influences my writing, my research background, and my psychology background.
0: Yeah, no, you literally have a bibliography. So I would be very happy yeah. as your instructor. Like, okay, he cited his sources, and this is wonderful for everyone. You know, you really are creating a pop genre in a way like you're creating a hybrid genre I should say of it's neither just popular (laughs) or academic it's this really nice in between
1: yeah because academic can be really difficult to understand and needlessly wordy and they kind of use this lexicon and this esoteric language that makes it very difficult for the average person to understand and then on the other extreme where it's like way oversimplified, it's like, well, no, hold on. We can understand more than this. We're, we're, it's like we're capable of a little bit of nuance here and doing that. And I think I've really found like kind of the sweet uh, middle ground in between the two.
0: Yeah, actually, someone who's I have to like see what she's working on. I'm sure she is. But your work is reminding me of when I first figured out that there was a um, study called Gender Studies and sexuality studies as an undergrad at Kane University in North Jersey. That's where I went. And a fire got lit under me when I read Jessica Valenti's work, um, which if you don't know, she like wrote some really interesting. Uh, Sex Object is quite a fabulous book. Sex Object. Yeah. So a book that I recommend. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. That was the book that I had read. Um, Yeah. And yeah, I wonder what she's working on now. Okay. Uh, I'll have to like do a search, um, but do you feel like something that fascinates me is you're still working with men's health and like, I'm not going to let it go. You talked about you writing about what are anal beads. And I think that that would come as a <laughs> shock to men's health readers because I had subscribed to men's health when I was younger. And there was really no LGBTQ discussions at all from what I remember. And like, for them to have brought you on, like, they really um, took a chance to just like say, okay, we're going to now start talking about queer male experiences.
1: Uh, And I I love that they're doing that. And, you know, I'm part of kind of a newer generation of men's health. And again, I can't speak to like, I'm not an employee there. I'm technically a freelancer. And I don't want to you know represent the brand but I think they'll be okay with me saying this where it's like I really feel like five years ago they made the switch to be more inclusive uh to be more sex positive to be more feminist to be uh more racially inclusive and everything instead of being what they previously were and to really become a part of you know the new generation you know in 2023 things are different now and how we discuss masculinity than how it was 10 years ago or 20 years ago so I was definitely a part of that um, transition. And, you know, Men's Health has always been somewhat gay. You know, they've had like a you know, thinly veiled gay readership of, you know, muscul- gay men like working out. They take it very seriously. They also like looking at jacked men who are half naked, which the magazine also had as well. So like there were gay readers, but now we're just kind of more – um. Speaking to them directly, and, and what's really cool is, you know, I write the column, and the column's extremely queer because I'm extremely queer, and the people who write in are often my fans and followers and readers, so they're queer people writing in, so I end up answering a bunch of queer questions. Um, and what's been awesome, because I used to be like a low-level editor at like the Advocate and Pride.com and Out Magazine, and so I was writing, I used to write a bunch for them, but I feel like I have so much more of an impact writing for Men's Health than I do anywhere else because a lot, you know, of men, especially bisexual men who are closeted or questioning, don't feel comfortable going to out.com. But they do feel comfortable going to men's health. And then all of a the sudden, they see that there's this queer article discussing closeted men, and they're actually okay clicking on it. So I'm able to read a de- able to reach a demographic who actually needs my help the most because they're closeted, confused, questioning, have some shame uh, to the point that they can't even don't feel comfortable going to the openly gay resources. And so I get a lot of messages from guys in their forties, even fifties, sixties being like, Hey, I came out to my wife as by because of you. And we had a great conversation. I just want to thank you in a way that they would not have been reading my work it out magazine. So I do love that I'm able to reach a demographic that I think is generally actually quite hard for me to reach.
0: Well, and I was going to ask you, as a um, medium with writing, like you also do make a lot of podcast appearances and right. This is a, it's what I love is this experience is different than the written word and that medium. Do you feel that one is easier for you to traverse in terms of going into the psyche of your sexual experiences and what you want to convey, or do they both work together for your process?
1: It's both work together. I mean, first and foremost, I am a writer. I I like to think I do good interviews and I'm well-spoken, but sometimes it takes me a little bit longer of rambling to reach my point versus obviously when I write something down, I can edit it, make it concise and really hammer down my points. So I really prefer If I'm making an argument, I usually prefer to write it. But I also like, you know, when we're able to have these interviews, you know, one on one, I'm able to kind of express so much more and able to answer different questions that I otherwise wouldn't be able to answer.
0: Yeah, no, I feel the same way. And also, I think there's something to that unfiltered thought process of moving from A to B to C that resonates with those listening right now. Like oh yeah that's how think, my it, mind processes. Excuse me.
1: Yeah, and like you know sometimes while thinking out loud you're able to kind of reach a different conclusion a way that usually wouldn't. Um, but it's good you know I'm also trying to be not just a writer but also a personality and I like and at least that's what my editor and my you know my media team and my agents and manager and everyone calls me where it's like they want me in front of the camera. Um, they they want me talking and giving lectures and being slutty and having, you know, uh, me being in a speedo and using, you know, everything I can in order to get this book sold, but really moving from just being an author to being this type of personality person.
0: Oh, yeah, no, you're having, I predict for you, Zachary Zane, that you are going to have an explosion of... Just outreach, and like I could even see you in a talk show format. Like we still really don't have an openly queer talk show at all. Like there's no that would be fun. You know, I propose that. I mean, I've always proposed that I want to be in a reality show, but after seeing the Real Friends of WeHo, which <laughs> it's okay, I did enjoy the first. I, I didn't episode. see it. I didn't oh, see it, okay.
1: but I know uh social media and reviews were less than kind.
0: I mean, I enjoyed the personalities on it. I think that, Mm -hmm. um, I think a New York one could be interesting. I think that maybe instead of a reality show, like an education show would be, I don't know, I'm throwing it out there. Could be interesting of just these types of discussions in a more, yeah, um, yeah, in front of the camera. Okay, that could be a Fire Island show. (laughs) Have an arts and culture show on Fire Island. Uh, Love it. You know, something that we definitely I need to discuss is you have such um, explicit discussions about whether it's you sucking an Uber driver off to like, just because you knew that he was interested and you go through the dynamic. I found it so fascinating of, well, how do you know if your Uber driver wants to be sucked off. I'm like, "Huh? Okay, how do you know Zachary?" Um it, it, it's so uh, funny where it's like even though I write it, when I hear other people discussing
1: it, I can't help but blush. I'm like, "Oh my god, did I really write that?" It's so funny hearing other people discuss what, what I discussed, but it's it's still I hear you saying that. I'm like, "Oh my god, did I really write this." And I love it. It's great.
0: Well, like cuz when Ooh. I hear that, I think, "Okay, well what would I draw from from my own experience?" And I guess it would be a guy literally coming on to me in the showers at the gym on long island which is itself um a story it's not like it was an, an equinox entity. in manhattan and like complimented complimented my butt and then like wanted to come to the shower with me and i was like no 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 i'm actually like i set a boundary i'm like no i'm good i like good. my uh, privacy <laughs> i was like that's what i have an apartment for but okay so i'll reveal a little that's of myself funny. That way also everyone knows like that doesn't happen when I go to the gym because I like my gym membership. Uh, So, you know, do you feel though that it's easier to talk about, say, sucking off a guy or, you know, your experiences in the bedroom with men and women than it is digging into the deep aspect of you've already brought it up but rejection or, um, you know, not um, being with your partner anymore? Like, is it harder to actually, especially for Boy Slut, dig into those more nuances of a relationship than the hookups?
1: Oh, yeah, it was significantly harder. And I think, you know, I really had to reflect as I'm looking back, you know, when I pick a story to write about, Um, it's often a story in which I grew as a person or it's something that is a universal, something that, you know, through my experience, I'm revealing something that's universal about human nature or about sexuality. So like, I'm not picking like for the book, I'm not just picking a raunchy sex story and writing about it. It's something where, okay, I think the reader can really learn from this or grow from this or really relates to them and their identity and what they're going through. So, as I was writing some of this older stuff about kind of previous relationships that I've had in my late teens and early 20s, and it was like, yeah, I was hurting people. Um, not Again, not my intent. It was not done maliciously, but when you're coming from a place of sexual shame, where you're not confident about who you are, when the messages that you've received about masculinity are telling you to essentially be a fuck boy and that being a fuck boy is a good thing to be, then I was a fuck boy. Um, and so it was challenging looking at all the people that that I've hurt over my life, uh, you know, emotionally and romantically. Again, of course, never mind tenth. And I do cut myself some slack. We all make mistakes, and a lot of it is just you know growing pains and stuff like that. But yeah, it, it's it required a lot of vulnerability, a lot of depth, a lot of reflection
0: yeah well and i appreciate you go there as all your readers i know are going to appreciate it and why um you know even you claiming that you were a fuckboy. i mean i have to say i loved um what is that reality show oh my goodness fuck boy island. it's not yeah Fuckboy island thank you yeah. i was yeah, like yeah. did they use the word fuck in it i guess they did, sure did. yeah because it's on hbo right um, I don't remember, but yeah. I think I don't know, one of the streaming services that are just never ending. Um that I have to keep like canceling my subscriptions because I don't watch them. Uh, but like what I like is you have so many readers. So, like, you know, as we're nearing the end of this conversation, I'm just curious, do you get as much delight as I do out of my like sexual exploits when I talk to my straight guy friends? Like I don't I think I have a certain kinky fascination of like seeing if I can shock them but I think what usually happens is they enjoy the vulnerability they're like wow I wish I could like try to talk about my exploits in the way that you're relaying them to me you know
2: yeah Uh,
1: yeah I I definitely I, I enjoy some of the shock value for sure I've but at this point I feel like no one's surprised with me this is who I am I've already Done. I've already, you know, pushed the threshold, pushed the limits so much that there's literally nothing I could say. I think that would surprise anyone at this point.
0: Well, and do you get more feedback from a specific demographic? Like, do you, you talked about a lot of messages from, you know, by men, but like, do you feel that there's. No, oh, go ahead.
1: Sure. When I share with straight men, I feel like they're so kind of like set in their ways in heteronormative dynamics and gender roles when it comes to sex and their role during sex so the fact that i'm able to break that and do something different like i feel like i often give like straight men more permission to do things differently in a way that they didn't even think was possible versus gay men because we've been ostracized and because we've been marginalized and because we have our own community like we know there are slutty gay men we know they're gay men who are cruising that, that is a thing And because, you know, we didn't have marriage up until recently in the United States and still in many places of the world, we do not, you know, when we were no longer aspiring to marriage because marriage wasn't an option, we created our own types of relationships, our own relationship with sex. We've been on the outskirts of society for so long. So we've came up with alternative lifestyles. So it's, I'm not as shocking to a gay person or a bi person or my stories that are like Showing the alternative lifestyle again are not necessarily as shocking to a gay or bi person as they are to a straight person because it's just so outside the realm of what they are used to and what they frankly think is possible.
0: Yeah, and there's kinky straight behavior. I mean,
2: of in course there is
0: swinger situations in sex clubs in yeah you know open relationships. So I feel, you know, it's so interesting the kind of feedback you would get from the straight community. Yeah like saying yeah, oh absolutely. we can express ourselves in such you know non-traditional quote-unquote ways in our exactly. sexual expression yeah well zachary this has been wonderful i hope to like thank you so much to you on fire island i'll be like okay who's where is zachary
1: oh my god well hopefully i can get my butt over to fire island sometime in july and august but if so i'm excited to see you there
0: yeah. Well, and I'll see what kind of speedo you're wearing. We'll have to. There you go. If I'm wearing color. one at all, who knows? That's true. <laughs> Depends where you are on Fire Island. Well, true. everyone out there, Zachary, this has been a pleasure. I feel like we covered all of the terrain. Um, So, you know, everyone get your hands on Boy Slut. You know, the fabulous Billy Porter says it himself that Zachary Zane is doing the Lord's work. So... I don't uh, know what other kind mainly, of endorsement you want. Yeah, right? What other
1: endorsement could you name? It's Boy It's sold anywhere books are sold. You can get it on Amazon or Bookshop. Boy Slut is one word. I have a book tour that's all throughout May and June. If you check out my website, ZacharyZane.com, you can see if I'm coming to a city near you. But I'll be in LA, SF, New York, Boston, Chicago, Nashville, and Montana as well, randomly. Um, and you can follow me on social media at ZacharyZane underscore on both Twitter and Instagram.
0: Thank you so much, Zachary. Okay, well, happy summer to everyone out there and happy, uh, you know, voice light, uh, empowering energy spirit to everyone. Yes, love it. Yeah, it's causing a conversation that's needed. So thank you, Zachary. (laughs) Bye, everyone. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Ivory Tower Boiler Room. This is Andrew Rimby, the executive director. I want you all to follow us on social media because there's so many video clips that we share and so many photos about these episodes. Follow us on TikTok and Instagram at Ivory Tower Boiler Room. Follow us on Twitter at Ivory Boiler Room. Follow our Facebook page, The Ivory Tower Boiler Room. Join our Patreon, patreon.com slash Ivory Tower Boiler Room. For $5 a month, you get ad-free episodes, our video interviews, the True Crime and Academia bonus episodes, and all Ivory Tower Boiler Room bonus episodes. Thanks for buying a coffee for me. And thanks to an amazing team. Thanks, Mary. She's our chief contributor. And thanks to the Ivory Tower Boiler Room Spring interns, Andrea, Caitlin, Sarah, Sheila, and Rosie. See you all again in the Ivory Tower Boiler Room.